This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You scared. Scared money don't make no money. Scared money don't make money. You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, a Virginia Tech sports podcast presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. All right, let's get it rolling. Big night for Virginia Tech. Ran over here getting this podcast ready to go. You know the drill. You know what's happening. Joined by Doug. Doug, what's going on, my man? Not much. Just a just a good Wednesday night here in Richmond. I guess you you had a little busy busy evening of basketball practice over there, huh? Yeah. So uh, for context, I guess for for everyone else listening, uh, last year my roommate and I. We decided we wanted to do uh, rec basketball coaching, so picked up a random squad of seventh graders. Uh, it was <laughs> very difficult in the beginning. Didn't realize <laughs> that you know kids twelve years younger than us would be uh, so difficult to work with, and um, you know started off slow, zero and four in the preseason, two and five in the regular season. You guys played four preseason games? Four preseason play-in games to determine where you're going to be seated, I guess, which <laughs> conference. We got the Valley Conference, which I'm assuming is a nice way of putting the lowest conference out there. And, uh, yeah. So what's, what's your team name? We're the, uh, we're the Wolves. The we're wolves. the Wolves. But, cool story, went into the postseason as the number 10 seed, played the play-in game, and, you know, at that point, we're like, come on, just show us what we've been teaching you, the full court press, a couple of the offensive plays, and somehow we managed to squeak out a two-point victory. The next week, we play the number one seed, and this is a team we lost to by 35 points in the regular season, and we beat them by 10. That's just great coaching. Great coaching. All the credit goes to us. None to the kid. No, I'm kidding. The well, kids yeah. did well. The first thing you got to do is give credit to the other team. You yeah. Got a lot of respect for that Look, bunch over there. and Got a lot of respect for the sport and uh, the integrity of it. But, yeah, we, we messed around and won the championship and became really good by the end of the year, which is, like, insane to think about, and uh, decided to, to re-up and – now we're in eighth grade. If there's any other coaches listening to this uh, in the Northern Virginia area, watch out because we're coming for the back-to-back. Uh, you know, got your contract extension. I guess you got, you know, it could be a lame duck year for you, but um, you know, eighth graders got that big expectations. Yeah, and just signed my seven-year deal, fifteen million dollar buyout. Did you get any five-star recruits this year? We actually lost two kids. Our best kid, we lost. They went really the portal. Sick. He hit the portal, went to private school, went to an <laughs> AAU program, and uh, but we recruited well. We got like a we got like a solid travel kid. You're allowed like one travel kid per per team. We got nice. one, so that's like our four star guy. And then we got like that solid three star, like double dribbles sometimes, 
But, uh, you know, he's a late riser, went he's to like, public school. He's like Isaiah Wilkins. Yes. Nice. Essentially undersized, but, like, <laughs> very gritty and will grab a board when needed. So Good. <laughs> but tra- transitioning over to Virginia Tech basketball, I was not able to catch the game tonight. Really, unfortunately, saw the final score, saw that Virginia Tech is now 3-0, and beat USC Upstate. So, you know, Doug, what'd you, did you watch the game? Yeah, we'll watch the game was kind of flipping forth, flipping back and forth between between that thriller and uh, the other thriller in action going on tonight featuring um, Bowling Green Scott Leffler, which isn't going well right now for him. So, but I mean, as far as the Tech game, pretty standard. USC Upstate's not one of the best Division One teams in the country. They're probably down there in the bottom. 50 teams. I think they haven't beaten a Division One team on the road in quite some time. Um, I heard the announcer say tonight. So, not really too much you can take out of it. Jalen Cohn had a nice night. Um, Ojiako got a lot of playing time. So, just another scrimmage essentially before uh, leading into Michigan State coming up. Yeah, that one's going to be a tough one. I do want to quickly point out, though, the first game I ever covered for Virginia Tech basketball was the USC Upstate game when they actually beat Virginia Tech, James Johnson uh, era. (laughs) So I watched that game, and I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, God, what did I sign up for? Yeah. I think they went 9-22 and that year. So, you know, you the fans of today, you know, you guys are lucky. The the newer fans and obviously – becoming like a, a serious basketball threat. Like it's, it's nice to see the progression from then till now. Yeah. I think that's full circle to go from losing to USC upstate. Now took care of business. Couldn't quite cover the spread there. Um, had a, had a friend that might've needed it, needed to happen there. Um, but couldn't quite get it done. So we'll get him next time though. And then also another big story for tonight we don't talk much recruiting, even though our platform is built on recruiting. I'm sure we'll gather around. We're kind of trying to focus on the season, but this story is just too big to ignore. I mean, 30 minutes ago, it, it essentially happened. We're recording on Wednesday night. Demetrius Davis, a four-star quarterback. I, I believe he's the second highest quarterback commit since Tyrod Taylor. Like, re- real deal stuff here. Um, a guy out of Texas plays in six a ball. That's the big boys. Uh, had last year had 50 total touchdowns and won the state championship game. Five eleven, one ninety, dual threat guy. But if you watch him on film, he looks like the Derek King kind of quarterbacker and has a little bit of Kyler Murray in his game, which are like big names. Derek King is the quarterback or was the quarterback at Houston, a guy that puts up a ton of touchdowns. Really, the entire game plan centered around him. And then, obviously, Kyler Murray, the first overall pick last year in the NFL draft, a guy that played for Oklahoma. And and with Demetrius Davis, you see just how elite he is in his film, being able to navigate the pocket, feel pressure, move around, has a tremendous arm, not the quickest guy, but when a play breaks down, he's just so intelligent and knows how to get to the first down marker. 
I mean, an unbelievable prospect, definite headliner for the 2021 class. Yeah, I mean, just a huge get coming out of coming out of Texas. Not every not every day Virginia Tech goes into Texas, and it's not every day that Virginia Tech takes a four-star quarterback who's won a 6A state championship. Um, when you think about high school football in Texas, um, it's a big deal, and quarterbacks are the big deal, and that's what you hear about constantly um, if, as far as Texas football is is the quarterbacks are the star. And it's not like Virginia Tech went into Texas and took, you know, a three-star at a 3A program or a smaller high school. They got one of the better quarterbacks in the class from the state of Texas, which is which is impressive and not something you would typically expect um, from, Virginia, from Virginia Tech when you got, got to go into Texas and you're pretty much competing with Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, LSU, um, all those programs around there. So huge get, uh, 2021 guy. So he's got a little, a lot of little, little ways to go. I don't know if we'll be concerned at any point before <laughs> signing day comes, but, uh, a good start for 2021. And, um, as far as, just going ahead and projecting out for the program by the time he gets to 2021, you'll have hooker cycling out. You'll have Patterson getting up there in his career. If he's still here, um, obviously tech took Knox Kadem last year. Um, so Davis is, if you're projecting out hookers starting the next two or three years, and if it's not hooker Patterson starting 321, through 2021 or 2022, it's like Davis is probably the quarterback of the future at this point after those guys. And I'll say to alleviate concerns, quarterback recruiting is different than most other positions. We've seen an accelerated timeline in high school recruiting, especially over the past two cycles with the early signing day and earlier signing day. With a guy like Davis – Offers from Texas, Texas A&M, LSU, a lot of programs and elite programs have already started. I mean, I know Texas has a quarterback in their class. Texas A&M has one as well. So spots are pretty limited for these elite quarterbacks, and you don't see them decommitting too often once they pick a program. He loves the way that the program is run, and he's been seeing you know, evidence with Hendon Hooker and that's right up his alley. That's where he excels in that type of offense where he can impact the game in, in, in both ways, running and throwing the ball. So, you know, he knew he needed to lock down a, a, a spot in this class. And, you know, I'm I'm pretty optimistic he's going to see it through. Yeah, and as far as you talk about the class of 2021 for Virginia Tech and just what a, what a massively important class that is for Justin Fuente. After he takes the big classes in 2017 and 2018 and 2019, and then he comes and obviously we're dealing with the the numbers game right now and everything that's happened with the class of 2020 in terms of it being a small class and there's no, no real headliner there. So for Gene Tech wants to wants to stay consistently at the top of the ACC Coastal, they need to kind of get back on track with a with the class of 2021 and there's a lot of expectations right now around that class. And I think to be able to go in and get your quarterback 
as one of the top. I think it, he's one of the, definitely probably one of the top ten quarterbacks in the number class four dual overall. threat quarterback. Yeah, so he's the number four quarterback in the whole country. Um, be able to get that guy to start your class, um, so you don't have to worry about finding a quarterback later, and you can just start to build around him. Um, I think it's a big get. Yeah, and he's going to be a guy that's going to actively recruit and try to bring other guys, maybe some other Texas guys in the mix, uh, to bring them to Blacksburg. And I mean, it's it's just awesome for any Virginia Tech fan because when you have a guy that's that highly regarded in the industry, you know, other recruits are going to take notice. They're going to point to him. He's already the headliner of the class, and it's still, you know, a year and a half away from signing day. So, you know, a lot of recruits are going to look at him. He's going to try to build a pretty impressive class. And, you know, overall, with with all the concern of the 2020 class, like you were talking about, two big classes in a row, this this cycle is supposed to be a little smaller. And you can kind of see the coaches a little indecisive at times on who to take. Um, That's why they have three running backs right now. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's good news for the future. And as far as building that class and him being a recruiter, now that he's committed this early, you can he can come on campus for your big recruiting weekends. Um, I don't know if he'll be up there over the winter at all or anything like that, but you're definitely looking at the spring game. He'll be there, the Penn State game early next year, um, as far as recruiting opportunities to bring him on campus along with, you know, the – dozens of other prospects that will be on campus at the time. What do you think has more pull? Justin Fuente wearing a Belk Bowl ring or Demetrius Davis flossing around his 6A state championship in Texas ring? It's definitely Davis. (laughs) Um, I'm sure Fuente loves his Belk (laughs) Bowl ring. Um, But, I mean, that's also kind of a thing you're recruiting mostly kids from Virginia, North Carolina, the East Coast, and then they show up and there's this kid from Texas who's coming to Virginia Tech and he's one of the top quarterbacks in the country. I think that's a big pull. Um, That's just something different that, you know, (laughs) I don't think most people around here are used to seeing kids from Texas come play quarterback in Blacksburg. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. And, you know, I'm excited to see what happens with this 2021 class. But the reason we're here tonight, the battle of the Polytechnics, the battle for who's the better tech. Now, I'm unsure if, you know, Texas Tech plays any or Louisiana Tech plays any other techs. But, you know, this one's the constant. It's an annual game. Virginia Tech 0-3 under Fuente against Paul Johnson's version of Georgia Tech, the triple option. We won't see that this year. So everyone rejoice. It's gone. This is a Jeff Collins type <laughs> spread offense and run by James Graham, a former Virginia Tech commit, a, a guy that has, you know, raw potential at the position, really became, he's a true freshman. Redshirt. He freshman. Red, redshirt. He's a redshirt freshman, kind of took over the reins. Um, I, I believe it was after the Citadel game and, um, you know, just kind of, trying to establish an identity on the offensive side of the ball. They have a lot of speed. Um, but what do you see out of this Georgia Tech offense? Yeah, completely different. Um, they will run a little something that does 
the formation looks like the triple option. Um, but they're not going to do like the whole fake to the B back and then run an option on the perimeter. It's mostly just going to be like a short yarded situation where they're just trying to pick up a yard where you'll see the, I think Bud Foster might start, um, getting a little fear in his eyes when he sees that formation after last, last year's game. But, um, yeah, Graham is the guy on quarterback at quarterback they've turned to. I think it was, he was recruited to, the reason he decommitted from Virginia Tech was because Georgia Tech offered him the opportunity to play quarterback there and be the triple option quarterback. Um, and then obviously <laughs> that run gets pulled out from under him. I think he started as the third, third string quarterback this year and they kind of just figured out that he's the best athlete that they got right now. And, um, that's how they can put together an effective offense. He's probably going to get a lot better over the next two and three, two to three years at that position. But, you know, right now he's not, he had a great game last week against UVA throwing the ball, especially in the first half. But other than that, he's pretty limited right now as a passer, which you can expect. Um, I think if he was at Virginia Tech right now, he'd be the starting running back actually. Um, but, He's a dangerous guy because of his running ability, but other than that, um, I think his throwing ability really limits the Georgia Tech offense. And I do want to talk about some of the playmakers outside of James Graham. Uh, you know, there are some impressive players. I know it's a 2-7 and seven team at the bottom of the ACC Coastal right now, but, you know, they still do have talent. And one guy that I think is one of the best running backs in the entire ACC conference, Jordan Mason. Yeah, Mason's the guy that um, I'd, I'd say they base their entire offense around Graham and Mason running kind of the read option or whether it's a read option or not, he hands it off to Mason. So those are the two guys that are really, they really build the offense around. Uh, Mason's going to get around 20 carries. He's a bigger back, tougher to tackle. Um, so he, he's really a guy that watching them, you don't really notice him bouncing it to the outside as much as he's keeping it between the tackles and it'll be Graham, the guy that's sprinting to the perimeter to try and pick up yards there. So yeah, I think Mason's one of the best, better running backs in the league. Um, he's young, he's a sophomore, so he'll be around for a long time. Um, but he's a good back and between Mason and, and Graham, those are the two guys that Virginia Tech's defense is going to have to focus on. Cause I think if you can, if you can shut down the running game, um, and then force Graham to beat you with his with his arm. I think you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, and there, a familiar name and a cool tidbit about Georgia Tech: Jemias Griffin, the second string running back, I believe, true freshman, four star guy, brother of Jalen Griffin. I think also on the defensive line they have Jaquan Griffin. So it's the Griffin boys. All three of them will be represented in this game. Jemias Griffin. I mean, I haven't seen much out of him. Is he a factor at all on this Georgia Tech offense? They they don't – he's got 20 carries so far, 20, 22 carries, something like that. Nothing substantial at this point of the year. Um, so it's mostly the the Jordan Mason show. Um, the other backup running back, Jerry Howard, gets some carries, but I think it's mostly Mason at running back right now. Gotcha, gotcha. And then I guess two other skill position players that I want to highlight, Amarian Brown – 5'10", 155, the wind literally can push him over. 
but he's one of the fastest guys in the conference at wide receiver. Uh, so another true freshman. And then Tyler Davis, the transfer tight end, 6'4", 250. Those are two of the other guys outside of Mason that I'm I'm really keeping my eye on for this game. Brown is fast. <laughs> um, he's the guy that he's obviously at 155 pounds. He's not going over the middle, and he's not breaking tackles. Um, you would think a guy that fast, at least in a Virginia Tech offense, would be featured on jet sweeps, but he's only got like two carries on the year, so he's not there. He's very much a um, run as fast as you can straight down the field, <laughs> and James Graham is going to heave it as far as he can throw it, and then you run under it, and it works a considerable amount of the time. Um He's probably faster than any defensive back. I think Caleb Farley is probably going to draw that matchup, knowing what his speed is is like. I wrote this in the preview that Farley came to Virginia Tech known as a burner and for his his track like speed and all that. And but since in the last year he's bulked up, and that's to be a better cornerback. So we're gonna we're gonna see if Farley can still. uh can still get up and go as far as, as speed goes, and I think you got to keep Diablo over the top because um, I talked earlier that you shut down the running game and you make James Graham beat you with his arm. But if if Tech gives up a couple deep balls to Brown, he's probably scoring a touchdown on you. So they got to prevent those. Yeah, and I mean Caleb Farley is. 207 pounds. Have you ever seen a bigger disparity? 52 pounds between cornerback and wide receiver? It's, you would think at 155 pounds, you would think Brown would be like 5'7", but he's 5'10", which makes him even skinnier, and Farley is going to look ginormous next to him, and Diablo is going to look like... Insane. (laughs) Insane next to him, so... um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see just what happens there. I mean, everybody knows that Graham is throwing the ball deep to Brown. So will Virginia Tech recognize those situations where it's coming? And it feels like this could be a game where Diablo coming over the top can can probably get at least one pick. So let's bring in the Virginia Tech defense into the picture. You've already highlighted a bit with Marion Brown. How do you see this defensive line? We've seen such an emergence, especially last week against Wake Forest. How do you think they're going to fare against this Georgia Tech offensive line? I know, you know, they're traditionally supposed to be a little bit smaller and more agile and used to those chop blocks, which I absolutely hated under the triple option. Uh, But now, you know, playing in a new scheme, is this another big opportunity for the defensive line of Virginia Tech? I think the ends are going to be the the position group to watch on the defensive line. Um, given the running game and how Georgia Tech likes to, likes to run the read option, and it's not that slow, like, delayed read option that Wake Forest ran last week. It's like a quick, happens happens suddenly kind of read option where, it's difficult to tell if it's Graham with the ball and going outside or if it's Mason in between the tackles with the ball. Um, so I think pressure is going to be on Belmar and Garbett 
and Becton and Adams, and hopefully Jalen Griffin can play this week. I know he didn't play at all last week, potentially. I think he was sick. Um, so hopefully he can play, especially going up against his two brothers. But those defensive ends being disciplined against that read option. Uh, Belmar has been a lot better over the last couple weeks, not getting sucked, sucked in and letting, letting, um, letting the hole behind him open up. So I think the ends are what I'm looking for this week on the defensive line. The defensive tackle, I think you're really just trying to, to rush straight up the field and get in Grant's face when he, when he's throwing the ball. Yeah, and hopefully keep containment. Um, in in terms of the linebackers, and you know that brings me to containment. I don't know the status of Rayshard Ashby yet. I think he might be hurt for this game. Hamstrings have hurt Virginia Tech this year. I mean, every key player has had a hamstring injury. It it seems like, and uh, so it might have to be the Dax at Mike show. Uh, you know, with Alan Tisdale at backer. Which, bold take here, but that seems like a better combination against a Georgia Tech team where you have a quarterback that, like you said, he was projected to be a running back. He's a guy that maybe doesn't scan the entire field and prematurely will tuck the ball and run with it and get into open space, has that speed. Is it maybe more beneficial to have a guy like Dax in the middle and then Tisdale, a guy that can cover sideline to sideline better at backer? I don't know if Ashby, missing Ashby is, is, is an improvement. I mean, it's, it's a full take. It's, it's a one full of the, take. I, I get the logic, um, but he is one of the best linebackers in the conference. So if you're losing him, um, I think I would rather the Ashby Tisdale matchup kind mm-hmm. of for what you were talking about. Um, but Dax, I mean, certainly, Late against Wake, he was playing Mike and didn't notice a difference um, there. So he'll get his opportunity. Seems, I mean, we've talked about it for for basically the last year that he's a better fit at Mike. So um, I actually, even if Ashby is close to being able to go, I'd lean to holding him out for this game as much as possible. Um, I think you covered it. That Dax, you you said he might be a better option, but he should be productive enough to to play yeah. Mike and win the game. And I think with those hamstrings and what Virginia Virginia Tech is going to need against Pittsburgh and UVA to finish out the year, I think Tech should be able to win this game without Ashby. So um, we'll see. I know. I think Bud said he practiced yesterday or whenever that uh, media availability availability was but um yeah it'll be interesting to see especially if if ashby doesn't play then we get a full four quarters of dax at mike which is what everybody's wanted forever so that'll be a fun four quarters and pray to god dax plays well in that situation (laughs) because then i don't know what position he is if he's not a mike (laughs) and hopefully he doesn't get too bloodied up playing at mike and being really the the focal point of the defense calling all the shots. But, you know, I was just trying to put a positive twist on it, you know. Uh, the other per- thing the other thing with the linebackers is if, if Ashby doesn't play and it's just Axon Tisdale, that's the, line, that's the only yeah. linebacker. I mean, Dylan Rivers will have to be ready to go. Um, there's maybe you take Keyshawn Artis and say we might need you there. 
Mm. But I would I would lean against that at this point if at all possible. But um, I don't know. I know Dean Ferguson is dressing out now, so maybe he's an option at linebacker. But if you're getting into Dean Ferguson playing linebacker um, right now, uh, something's going wrong because um, he's he's got to keep his red shirt. Obviously, he's probably within the four game red shirt rule, but I don't think he's ready to play in the ACC. Now for Virginia Tech's offense on the field against Georgia Tech's defense, I've watched several games. I won't say that they're a good defense by any means, but I do respect that they seem together. They seem that they're swarming at times, uh, no pun intended. And um, (laughs) they are, you know, they they play tough. So I understand maybe it's, you know – it's it's new to them. Uh, a couple guys that that pop out: Juanya Thomas, uh, Tariq Carpenter, and Trey Swilling are the three guys that pop out to me. And they're all defensive backs. Two of them safeties, and Thomas and Carpenter. And Swilling is a guy that he had a bunch of interceptions last year, uh, so he sticks out in my mind. Um, but overall, I mean, where are the strengths of this Georgia Tech defense? Yeah, if we're gonna stay on the puns here. You know, it's not it's not really a group that really buzzes around that much. Um, this, this, if you're looking at Georgia Tech transitioning from Paul Johnson, this is the side of the ball that you would expect to be much further along and ready to compete. Just because they didn't, the defense didn't run a triple option defense. Um, they were a traditional defense under Paul Johnson, and they still are. So, you know, they're decent. They're they're just kind of meh. I mean, yeah. um, you covered the three guys in the defensive backfield that are talented. Thomas, the safety, um, he's a real athlete and, um, he had a really nice pick in the Pittsburgh game coming over the top. So he's a guy that you got to watch out for. Uh, the other guy I think is David Curry. He's the linebacker number six. Um, he's their leading tackler. I think he's up near over 70 tackles for the, for the season and he's pretty much going to be around the ball every single play. Like any play doesn't matter where it is. Number six is going to be either making the tackle coming in late to help finish the tackle, or he's just going to be standing around like right next to the guy laying on the ground. Um, so get ready to see a lot of Curry uh, just all over the field, whether he, is able to get into backfield and get sacks and tackles for loss. I don't think that's his game. He's only got three tackles for loss of his 70-something tackles. So um, I think he's the really the other one that stands up stands out. I think their defensive tackles are are impressive or are going to be good down the line. The one kid, TK Chimedzda, something nice. like that. <laughs> I did the best I could there. He's he's. He's a good-looking defensive tackle, but he's a redshirt freshman. And then the other guy, um, at least he was listed as a starter last week, but he didn't play, Chris Martin. So um, they might be down a defensive tackle and a defensive end. Antoine Owens also is a starter. Um, he's actually out for the year. So they're, <laughs> they're, they're, uh, they're, they're trying to make some things happen on the defensive line thanks to some injuries. So that's really where I think Virginia Tech has the advantage. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at their depth chart right now. 
just realized they're running a, a four two five. It appears, uh, and they call it effort based. I don't know what that means. Uh, I think every defense in America is running <laughs> the effort based defense. Um, really interested to see if you know if we get NCAA football twenty twenty coming back. If we can hire the the Georgia Tech defensive coordinator <laughs> to come in and run his four two five effort based attack. <laughs> Yeah, just swapping through the playbooks and finding yeah. an effort-based defense. I think. Everybody, everybody knows you always ran the multiple defense or the three-four in NCAA football, but now you got the four-two-five effort-based. I was a I was a three-four guy myself, but uh, yeah, I mean this defense when when you bring in the Virginia Tech offense, obviously huge returns in the ground game over the past few games. Uh, you know, maybe outside of that Notre Dame game. Uh, but with Hendon Hooker, you know, it seems like this this Virginia Tech offense is just ready to run for 200-plus yards. Um, and the passing game as well has looked very solid with Hendon Hooker in as quarterback. Where is the weakness of this defense? Do you see Virginia Tech trying to establish that run the entire game and kind of picking their passes? Or do you think it has to be put on Hendon Hooker's arm to win them this game? No, it's definitely going to be the running game um, for sure. I mean, you talked about Hooker's, Hooker's ability on the ground. Bryce Perkins last week had over 100, 100 yards. I think he had 106 yards um, himself on the ground. I think this Georgia Tech defense gave up like 400 yards on the ground to Clemson way early in the year. They gave up 300 yards on the ground when they lost the Citadel earlier this year, and they haven't had numbers that bad um, since then. Thank God for them, but they still have given up 150 yards or over 150 yards rushing like the last seven games or something. So um, rushing is is where the is where Virginia Tech can have success, and I think that's where you, where you would want them to have success in a game like this. Um, there's really no point in getting into a a game where Hendon Hooker's throwing the ball 45 times. If that happens, Tech is probably losing the game. Um, I just looked it up there. Georgia Tech's last in the ACC in rushing defense, so I think this is a Perkins last week carried it like 21 times. I don't I don't think you want Hooker to carry it 21 times right now. Um, so I think you just kind of run the same offense they've been running and get McLeese and Kashawn King going. Um and then hopefully that's enough to to get to roll up a big enough lead here. And a little bit of jet sweep you as well. James Mitchell goal line package, the bulldozer. Hey, I don't want to be tackling him on the perimeter if he's coming around on a jet sweep. And with Dalton Keene with him as well. Although, you know, it didn't work against Duke that one game, so <laughs> everybody, everybody hated the call then. But it's it's three for four so far, but it's yeah. Um the last the last thing I wanna Bring in, I guess, highlight player for Virginia Tech. You talked about the ground game, Deshaun McLeese, Keyshawn King. Uh, you know, what about the guys on the on the perimeter? Uh, you think you know it's possible for um, either Trey Turner or Damon Hazelton to have a big game through the air? Yeah, I think. I mean, if the running game is going, those guys are going to have opportunities. Georgia Tech's pretty good at. Um, Preventing the big play, I think they're like fourth in the ACC and 30-yard plays given up this year or something like that. So they'll keep it 
So that tells me at least theoretically they like to keep it in front, um, which is pretty much what Wake Forest did last week. And um, I think you just get the ball to, to Hazleton and Turner on those shorter intermediate routes. And I mean, Hazleton, when he puts the foot, puts his foot in the ground and makes a juke inside, I don't think anybody's tackled him on that move in his career at Virginia Tech. So um, I definitely think given the success we we expect Virginia Tech to have on the ground, that just opens up the passing game. And um, you talked about Trey Swilling um, at corner. There are other corners. Amari Walton is 6'3". He's a redshirt freshman. 6'3". Seems like he's going to be a good player going down the road. Um, but I definitely think Turner and Hazleton, now that they seem healthy, basically every week Virginia Tech has an advantage there that they could get some production out of. The last matchup, and this is where my expertise comes in, <laughs> the punters. Now, I've been watching this guy for the entire year. He threw a <laughs> fake punt touchdown pass. It was beautiful. Presley Harvin, six He's a- foot, 245 pounds. He's almost 100 pounds more than Amarian Brown, like their leading receiver, He's the a punter. Big- He's a big kid. He's massive. You'll definitely see him on your TV screen, or if you travel down to Atlanta, can't miss him. Uh, not a weight joke, just, you know, he's a big guy. <laughs> and then, obviously, Oscar Bradburn, top three in the nation right now uh, in terms of punting. We joked about it last week, if you if you missed our podcast. Uh, I guess I should say earlier this week uh, that the goal is for Virginia Tech to get up by enough scores so that the second and third stringers come in, go three and out, and give Bradburn like 10 opportunities to kick 60-yard punts. Yeah, he's about a yard and a half or a yard back in yards per punt. Um, so I really think he just needs like two or three, you know, 55-yarders, if we could order that up. Um, it's going to be tight down the stretch there for the for the punting championship in, in the FBS at least. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be hosting maybe even a Facebook live. We'll see. But for the Ray Guy Award, I'm gonna be dressed suit and tie and camo Crocs to cap it off. I think that's a really good idea. <laughs> now I wanna I wanna move into predictions for this game. I got one more thing to say about the the special teams. Go ahead. Okay, big advantage for Virginia Tech here is the kickoffs. I guess if. Georgia Tech is not scoring. They're not going to have many opportunities to take kickoffs back, but Georgia Tech is last in the country in in touchbacks on kickoffs. They've kicked off 31 times this year, and they've only gotten three three touchbacks. Um, So if you you liked what Kashawn King did last week, or if you think a guy like Caleb Farley or Terry Sweetley or whoever else Tech is throwing back there, they're gonna get their chance to return a kick um, at least twice um, in this game, so that'll be something to look out for. Yeah, and I guess just sticking on special teams and especially the return game a little bit, I am curious if we see a bit more Keyshawn King back there uh, taking over for really Terius Wheatley, um, and then on the flip side on the punt returns, will it be Hezzy Hay, Hezekiah Grimsley, or will it be? Uh, Tavion Robinson. It seems with both of those moves, putting King back at kick return and Robinson at punt return, it's gotten to the point of the season where Fuente is kind of going for it. Like, 
pushing all the chips into the middle, whatever you want. Like Grimsley's solid punt returner. He's like Fuente always says, number one rule is punt return, catch the ball, get the ball back to the offense. He's done that this year aside from the Boston College game and then that one juggle that he had against Wake Forest. Um, I think the same thing is basically said of kick return, um, but I think Fuente realizes that three games to go with the Coastal out there, um, picking up any yardage on those on those returns and, and really putting the best option out there at this point of the year is, is the way to go. And comparing what Kashawn King and, and Tavian Robinson can do with the ball in their hands um, to what Grimsley and, and Wheatley can do with the ball in their hands, I think they give they give Tech a little more a little more creativity, a little more playmaking back there. So I think now nine nine games into the year, he's saying you're not freshman anymore. I'm not treating you like a freshman anymore. You've practiced this all year. It's it's time to go. Yeah, and I will say for my own personal benefit, I put out a five bold predictions piece five days before the season started at Boston College. One of those five bold predictions was that Tavion Robinson would house a punt return. So I'm hoping because we saw a little <laughs> bit of potential last weekend. I mean, if you can secure the ball and make a positive play, get good field position. It definitely made a huge impact in the game against Wake Forest. And, uh, you know, against Georgia Tech, it's another time to try it out. Yeah, I think the stat I found this week was Georgia Tech's allowed four punt returns of 20 yards or more, which is, um, compared to the rest of the conference, pretty bad coverage. Um, so I think Robinson's got a chance, just like I think I'll go out and predict that Virginia Tech's going to take a kick return back in this game. Ooh. Keyshawn King or Terrius Wheatley? King. King. The King. Maybe <laughs> he'll get a rushing touchdown as well. We'll see. But uh, speaking of predictions, Good let's segue. hear yours. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to be close. I think the only concern here is if Virginia Tech lays an egg just going on the road against the team that's – in the basement of the coastal and they don't take it seriously. And for whatever reason, they don't play well. But I also think that this is a team that's finding its footing. Um, they have their goal out in front of them. They know what, if they take care of business in Atlanta, they come back home and play a big one against Pitt. And then obviously the huge one, everyone's kind of looking at with one eye right now in Charlottesville on Black Friday. So they, so despite Georgia tech being a, two and seven team and the worst team in the coastal and going on the road to Atlanta, um, which I don't expect it to be a sold out stadium or anything like that. Given the record, they shouldn't have any problem focusing and getting up for this. And as long as they go in there and, you know, play with the same effort and all that stuff that they've been playing with. Um, I, I just think the limitations of Georgia tech on offense play right into Virginia tech's hands right now. When you're talking about being able to essentially just give Waller and Farley one-on-one matchups, play Diablo over the top to protect against those deep balls that Graham is going to throw, and then just keep eight guys around the line of scrimmage to shut down the running game. And um, I think that edge just just kind of plays into the whole rest of the game with Georgia Tech not having enough firepower to hang with Virginia Tech. So, um 
and that's even before you start talking about the rushing the rushing game, which we've already covered, where Virginia Tech has a huge advantage. So I'm gonna go. I haven't picked a score until right now, but I'm gonna go Virginia Tech 36, Georgia Tech 16. Ooh, 20 point game. I know. On the boards, I've been taking some heat for picking against <laughs> Virginia Tech for the last four or five games. I think the only game I've picked Virginia Tech to win recently has been Rhode Island. Um, so hopefully this doesn't break the jinx. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, a loss to Georgia Tech would really sting. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> But uh, in, in terms of my prediction, it's it's tough because, um, you know, just the history of it. And I know it's unfair to bring prior results into this game because really it has nothing to do with it. But there has been a hump for Virginia Tech against Georgia Tech, and it's completely different circumstances now. It is, you know, it, I, I am a little wary of, of going on the road and playing in Atlanta. Um, but, you know. If Virginia Tech can handle South Bend, you know, a half-full stadium in Atlanta shouldn't, you know, scare them too much. I think Virginia Tech is essentially better in every single phase over Georgia Tech. The 5.5 spread that I saw earlier this week, uh, you know, it does make me think, is there is there someone coming back for Georgia Tech? You know, <laughs> is there something they're not telling me? Because, to be quite honest, this feels like a game where, Virginia Tech should be a multiple score favorite. And, you know, with how well that Hendon Hooker has been playing, I don't think this is going to be a game where he completely unravels and starts to struggle. I think that, you know, the Virginia Tech offense has found its footing. Everyone is pretty much healthy. The offensive line has been playing very well. I think the running game will dominate this game and Hendon Hooker won't be asked to do too much with his arm. And then defensively, it would be a big hit if, if Rayshard Ashby doesn't play, but I think Virginia Tech can still play with the same fire they've shown the past two weeks if they have Dax and Tisdale out there. So, you know, I, I think it's tough for Georgia Tech. Obviously, they want to build upon something. They want to be a tough out for a team like Virginia Tech. You know, this is kind of that game where you see that another team has – postseason implications and you know just beat a ranked team and you know you're kind of looking at them and saying we want to beat them we want to take them down so there's a lot of motivation for Georgia Tech not as much for Virginia Tech but you know ultimately I see Virginia Tech winning this one big 42-17 that five and a half line I know <laughs> it it you know we talked about going on the road is the main concern. I think the main concern might be Vegas thinking the spread is only five and a half because Vegas knows. <laughs> do you and, think it's because of the performance last week against Virginia, or maybe it's historical data factoring into this? It's got to be heavily like based on last week, which they competed with UVA and lost by five there. Um, Maybe it's as simple as they lost by five to UVA, and UVA is the favorite in the Coastal, so we're just going to throw another half point on there. Um, but, yeah, that's that's like one, the Notre Dame one that was so, like, everybody kind of looked at and was like, really? For, yeah. After, after that Michigan game, 
Um, <laughs> this one kind of feels like only five and a half. Um, if it's a five point game in the fourth quarter, there are going to be some nervous people around. Oh yeah. And how funny would it be, <laughs> you know, tomorrow morning breaking Jeff Collins fired and return of Paul Johnson, bringing well, back the triple option. I don't know about like firing Jeff Collins, but like ultimate troll job would be to like choose this game to honor Paul Johnson oh, on the yeah. field. Just put, do like a, make him your honorary captain at the coin toss or something. Um, and then first play of the game, just come out full triple option. <laughs> if I see Paul Johnson in the pregame, uh, sideline cam, I will probably freak out. <laughs> yep. Paul Johnson, Jonathan Dwyer, um, Tevin Washington, <laughs> bring them all back. <laughs> oh man. But, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us tonight. Any final words for the people? I don't think I got too much. Um, I think we're out of yellow jacket puns. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. just swat that question away. It's yeah, fine. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To everyone else, we will see you next time to recap Georgia Tech. It may come as a shock to you, but I say that I would have beat every heavyweight that ever lived before me. Look like a butterfly, sting like a beast. Ah! Rumble, young man, rumble. Hey! That's what we're gonna do. That's we're gonna rumble.